I hope you have your Bibles, and if you do, why don't you go ahead and open up with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to be focusing this morning on uh, verses 12 through 31, verses 12 through 31, and I made a little last minute audible on all the text I want to cover, so the first few verses there may not be on the screen, don't panic, we'll, it, they'll be there, and we're really mainly going to focus on verses 15 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just grab the Pew Bible there in front of you. You can open up to page 1242, 1,242 there in the Pew Bible in front of you, and you can follow along there. What we try to do uh, as we preach and teach at First Baptist Church uh, is we try to root what we teach and preach in the Bible. Uh, I don't really have anything of worth to say to you. I expect more amens there, but I, 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 you know, I, I want you to recognize that what I'm trying to do is show you what the Bible says, what the Scripture teaches. That's our goal each and every Sunday, because I, I really firmly believe with all my heart that God's Word is more powerful than my ideas and my thoughts. And if you know me, you know I'm loaded with opinions, and, uh, but they are worth nothing compared to the Scriptures, compared to what God has to say. So that's that's our goal. So if you're open up there, one way that we signify this, the supremacy of the Word of God in our church, one way we signify this is by standing as we read God's Word. So would you stand with me as we read the words of the Lord today? John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you, beginning in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, and John wants to make it clear, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds today, God, to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that we will be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do we know that we're Christians? How do we know that we're Christians? Now, so often, and listen, a good, solid profession of faith, a a genuine moment where you look back and can say that you were converted is important for us to, to, to think through what it means for us to be a Christian. But the Bible teaches us that we ought to evaluate our profession of faith. We, we ought to evaluate. The Bible says to test and see whether or not you are in the faith. And so we ought to be regular evaluators of what it means to be a Christian. Are we showing and demonstrating that that faith that we put in Jesus when we were 8 or 12 or 15 or 30 or whatever, 20 for me, what, are, we, are, we, are we genuinely living out that faith in a way that, that lines up with what the Bible teaches us? One of the main ways that the Bible gives us that we can know that we are Christians is the internal evidence, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit indicate to you in your own heart, your own soul, and only you can know if the Spirit is in you, right? Only you can have that experience. No one else can. We can evaluate it according to the Scriptures, but it's still something only you can experience. I can't experience it for, for you. Is there evidence then that the Holy Spirit is in your life? Now, a lot of times what people think that ought to mean is that we're sort of like Christian versions of Harry Potter, that we sort of just have this kind of power that one day we discover. You know, we, we just one day wake up and I'm able to do some Christian-y things that I couldn't do before. Or some people would say that it ought to manifest itself in sort of the ecstatic or sign gifts, that we ought to have these sort of miraculous gifts that we experience or show. But so often more than hearing a voice or more than anything else, so often what, how we know the Spirit's at work in our lives is when things are happening in our lives that only the Holy Spirit can do. Change begins to come in our hearts. So, for example, today, even today, I have seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my own life because I was able today to be able to come here and look Jamie Meredith in the eye and shake his hand and still be Christian brothers even though I'm an Auburn fan and he's an LSU fan, right? And, and so yesterday when Auburn got beat the last minute by LSU, you know, I didn't do what I wanted to do. Just go sit in my bedroom and sulk, call in sick today. So I wouldn't have to see Jamie Meredith here this morning, you know, the LSU fan. No, no, we can all see though, right? The evidence of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes it's not exactly the sort of big splash that we're looking for. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that or never does that, but oftentimes we're so busy looking for the spectacle that we miss the subtle, consistent witness of the Spirit of God in our lives. Jesus here says, so plainly, Jesus here says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going 
to the Father. We often look at this verse and think that means, and I think a lot of people in the broader charismatic movement have taken this verse and taken it to mean that if you're not showing these sort of miraculous signs, that must mean you're not genuinely a Christian. That must mean that you've not actually been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says these words, talking about these greater things, as he comes into this discourse on the Holy Spirit. And throughout this time, we call this the farewell discourse leading up to John 17, the high priestly prayer. During this time, Jesus gives a lot of references to the Holy Spirit. He talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. Here he says that those who follow him will do greater things. Greater things than Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus did. Now, what that doesn't mean, I don't think, is that if Jesus walked uh, across the Sea of Galilee, then I ought to be able to walk across the Gulf of Mexico, you know what I mean, or whatever else. I, 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 or, or, or that we ought to be doing these greater miracles. Jesus fed 5,000, why? Well, Matt Alexander ought to feed 10,000 or whatever else. I don't think this means that Jesus is challenging his church, challenging his church to a one-upmanship of miracles. What I think Jesus is saying here is that as he goes, understand the farewell discourse is him preparing his disciples for the fact that he's about to die and raise again, and he's giving them instructions kind of in the waning days of his life on earth. Jesus is pointing them to the gospel. He's telling them, I'm about to go perform the greatest miracle of all. I'm about to be raised from the dead. And he's preparing them for the fact that if they love him and know him, they're close to him, that one day through his church, they will be able to do greater things than this. Why? Because Jesus has died and raised again. They're not able to do these things now, but later they will be able to do great things. They'll be able to lead people to Jesus. They'll be able to see entire societies transformed. They'll be able to see these things precisely because they have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit then is here to testify and witness to the work of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done to empower His church to live out the gospel. So I want to show you this morning three ways that the Spirit speaks the gospel in your life. Three ways this morning that the Spirit speaks the gospel in your life. Here's the first. The Spirit speaks to our hearts. The Spirit speaks to our hearts. Verses 15 through 20 are where we're going to focus for this point. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, other translations have other words for this. Sometimes your translation may say comforter. Your translation may say counselor. Uh, this word here is parakletos, the paraclete. And it's actually very much a, a word that's used in the legal profession in, during this time of someone who would come alongside and help someone in a legal matter. Someone who would be a, an intercessor on someone's behalf but here in this context it, it means more than that certainly not less than that but more than that because there is an aspect of of comfort that he's here to be with us to to guide us in the absence of the bodily presence of jesus christ in our lives so jesus says i i will send you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Apostle Paul makes this so clear. The Spirit himself, referencing the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we 
are children of God. This is what great theologians over the years have called the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. It is the reality that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, this counselor, this helper, this comforter, is a guide who will lead us to the truth and who will be with us. Now put yourself for a moment in the shoes of the disciples, right? This word disciple very literally means follower, right? So these are people who are following. Who are they disciples of? Who are they disciples of? Jesus, right? And so that means for this duration of Jesus' ministry, something like three years, they have followed Jesus. So they get up in the morning and they say, Hey, Jesus, what are we going to do today? They follow his lead. He is their teacher. He is with them through all these different things. They've seen him go through all this. And so now he's trying to prepare them for the fact that he will no longer be leading them. Now what's interesting, right? What's interesting is the fact that these disciples, once Jesus left, did not name a new leader. Isn't that fascinating? Now later, folks want to go back and... and act as if Peter was the kind of head leader of things, but nobody replaced Jesus, right? Well, there's a reason why the disciples, that was common practice, was, was that one of the, the, the kind of the all-star in the group of disciples would become the new leader. He would sort of take over the group. That's not what happened. In fact, these, these men all led together. The apostles led together. Why is it? Because Jesus remained the Lord of his church. And he rules his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, he was anticipating, he was preparing his disciples for the fact that he would no longer be with them. And what he's trying to explain to them is, even though I am going to be absent from you in body, I'll I'll, I'll be in heaven. I won't be with you. You should rejoice in this, he goes on to say. Why? Because you will be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He, He says this even here. He says he dwells with you. He dwells in you. He's making promises, first of all, that the presence of the Spirit will be real in the midst of the church. That we will be able to see evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we read the book of Acts, and oftentimes there are miraculous happenings in the book of Acts. And just like we see, there are miraculous happenings in the gospel. But anytime people want to follow Jesus just for the sake of his miracles, what does Jesus do? Turns them away. Because he's, he's, he's making a point that the miracles are not the point. The gospel is the point. If you read through the book of Acts, the things that the book of Acts are highlighting are not just these miracles, but the main thing is the spread and the advance of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit. is the Spirit is working through the disciples. He is leading great amounts of people to Jesus. We then see that the Spirit is dwelling with the church. See the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And even here, right now, thousands of years later, 2,000 years later, at First Baptist Church of Gadsden, we see evidence of the Holy Spirit. We see what the Spirit can do. Now, we recognize that we don't have all kinds of things happening, ecstatic manifestations and those kind of things. Some of y'all just shudder when you hear those words, ecstatic manifestations. What hath God wrought? You know, we, we just get nervous here as Baptists when we start thinking about those kinds of things, right? We start thinking about the Spirit doing that kind of thing. And I don't foresee that we're ever going to have gold dust blowing out of the, the vents or any of that kind of thing. Why? Why? Could the Spirit, do, the Spirit can do what He wants to do. 
But why would we fixate on lesser things? Paul calls them lesser things. He'd much rather have love than he was speaking in tongues. Now, in our flesh, we flip that kind of thing upside down. We want, we want God in the whirlwind. We want big things. We want to see explicit things. But God's saying, you know, all the while, really the main thing is things like love, the spread of the gospel, lives being changed. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so when we try to think about God doing these big grand grandiose things sometimes we get a little disappointed but when we really dig into the bible and see what the spirit's really up to we start to get pretty excited don't we why well the gospel made it from jerusalem all the way right here to gadsden alabama right made it to you most of us did not have great 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 grandfathers great 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 you know our long 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 ago ancestors are probably not people who served god most of us descend from pagans and heathen. Unless you're way down the line from Jewish people, you probably descend from pagan. And yet, what has the Spirit done? He's moved in power and moved in might and led whole societies, whole groups of people, whole cultures to Christ through the power of the gospel. He dwells with us, but also He dwells in us. And here Jesus is promising the hallmark of the Christian life the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we recognize in the Old Testament that oftentimes the Spirit of God was with God's people. He dwelled with the people of God. We see the work of the Spirit all throughout the Old Testament. Every time you read... Uh, Y'all are not going to trust me at first on this, but bear with me. Every time you read a genealogy in the Bible, you're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time you read a genealogy... Every time you're about ankle, you're, you're neck deep in begats, right, in the middle of Leviticus. You're in Deuteronomy, you're struggling. Be reminded of the fact that God made a promise, and with each and every generation that survived, each and every generation that made it, that's one generation closer to Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. God in His providence, by the power of the Holy Spirit, moving, preserving, guiding His people toward the day in which He would save the world through Jesus. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit around, and then we also see that the Spirit would function in a functional way for believers in the Old Testament. People would put their faith in God in the Old Testament. So, for example, the Spirit would descend on the king of Israel, or he would descend on the judges, or he would descend on the temple artisans for them to carry out what it is God had called them to do. But then what else would happen? When they had ceased to function the way that God had called them to function, either the temple's done, or they're no longer king, where that battle is won and fought, the Spirit would recede, He would leave. And yet now, as believers, we recognize that we receive the Holy Spirit forever. Not because we're so good, not because we're better than Saul. I have Christians ask me that all the time. Do you think God's ever going to let happen to me what happened to Saul? That the Holy Spirit would be removed from me? And I say, well, what happened when Jesus was baptized? I say, well, the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. Amen. And I said, did you ever see him leave? And they say, no, I, I never saw the, the Spirit leave. Throughout Jesus' life, the Spirit remained on him, anointing him to be the anointed one of God, right? To be the Messiah. Now the Bible says you're one with Christ through the gospel. And so, so long as Jesus has the Spirit, I have the Spirit. So long as Jesus has the Spirit, 
you have the Spirit. There is no disunity in God, therefore you will have the Spirit forever. That's what Jesus is promising, that the Spirit will be with us forever. He dwells in us. What evidence we have, church, of our salvation through the indwelling Spirit. Rather than looking for miraculous signs, let's focus on the most important part of the Spirit's work in our lives, the most important thing you can see and learn in your own life, and that's from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. They can make Christianity illegal, right? And in some areas of the Roman Empire over the years, it was made illegal at different times. As Paul talks to the church at Galatia, though, what does he say? There is no law against love. They will not outlaw joy. They cannot outlaw peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let me ask you this question, brothers and sisters. As we sit at home at night and we watch the news, as we, as we read things on Facebook, as we see things online, as we hear the news, do we not all feel like the world could use a really good dose of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? We're so worried about the big things. We're so worried about the big things. All the while, the world gets changed by the little things. By the little things. The Spirit speaks to our hearts. But also, the Spirit speaks through our lives. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more but you will see me because I live you also will live in that day you will know that I am the father and you in me and I in you whoever listen to what Jesus says verse 21 whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest himself to me. Jesus came and saw his disciples after his resurrection. I think that's what he means by, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I think he's talking specifically about when he appears to them after the resurrection. But I think there's another fuller sense in which Jesus is also talking about his return at the end of the age. But from his resurrection until the end of the age, he is nonetheless promising not only will he return and see his people, but he's also promising, as he says, I will not leave you as orphans, he's also promising the Holy Spirit. That he will be with his people through the Holy Spirit. And one way that we know that the Holy Spirit is in our lives and hearts is that we learn to keep his commandments. We learn to keep his commandments. I use this illustration a lot. I love to use it with kids because they get it better than we do. But I always say, what kind of things do your mom and dad teach you? Most of our kids answer things like, they teach me to share. They teach me to go to bed. They teach me how to brush my teeth. They teach me how to do good things, right? 
I would say, well, did your mom and dad teach you how to fight? And they just start laughing at me. I'll say, no. Did your mom and dad teach you how to argue? No. They start laughing. No, they didn't. Did your mom and dad teach you how to be selfish? No. Those of you who have children, did you have to teach your kids to be bad? No. No. Now, 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 listen, sometimes we teach them other, you know, extra ways to be bad on accident, right? Sometimes we do teach them extra ways to be bad, but we don't have to teach kids to be selfish. We don't have to teach kids to think about themselves. We don't have to teach ourselves to think about ourselves. We need help keeping commandments, don't we? We, we need help keeping God's commandments. How long, I've, I've, I did this a couple weeks ago, but here, how long have you known the Ten Commandments? You've known them for a while. And how much better are you at them now than you were then? Hopefully, some of us are a little better, but we recognize we need help keeping the commandments. That's the point, is that obedience is evidence of the Holy Spirit. One way that, God, that the Spirit of God speaks is through our obedience to God's commands. Jesus has not left us alone, but he empowers us by being in us through the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to recognize as a church, if you want to see a great move of the Holy Spirit in your church, a great movement of the Holy Spirit in our church would be a movement of holiness. Just a commitment. Hey, let's just try to be obedient to God's commands. Obedient to God's commands. Let's, let's see what the Spirit tells us in our hearts when we're living out the commands of God. See, I really believe with all my heart I really believe with all my heart that one of the reasons why legalism is so rampant in the Bible Belt, in our culture, I think one of the reasons why it is, so, it is our heresy in the South. And, and, and really, legalism, the idea that we can earn our own salvation, right, and the health, wealth, and prosperity movement, the idea that when we're good to God, He's good to us, are two sides of the same coin. If I'll do what I'm supposed to do, then God will bless me immensely. Whereas as Christians, we recognize that we're blessed always and only by God's grace through Christ. One of the reasons that I think it's so rampant in the Southeast is because of the job we've done as Christian people. And particularly, I think, the Southern Baptist. Because of the job that we've done in telling people they're saved when they're not. I think we've become, we were so obsessed with numbers for so long that if, if somebody walked down here and said, you know, I heard one time God existed, the temptation was to go ahead and dunk them and count them, right? I think we've done such a poor job in ensuring that people are saved and ensuring that people are disciples that we've set them out to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, to try to be obedient to God without the Holy Spirit. It's misery. It's, it's hell on earth to try to love God and love your neighbor as yourself without help. And that's why Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit is to help us be obedient. That's the reason why I think we're so focused on external things. On external things and sometimes on rules that aren't even in the Bible. We're focused on trying to keep those things because only the Spirit can change the heart. And so we try to ignore that. Well, peace, patience, love, kindness, those things. I'm not as worried about those things as I am whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm lying or smoking or playing cards or something like that. We're focused on external things, not internal things. Jesus hasn't left us alone, but he empowers us through the Spirit to be obedient to Him.
And here's the final way the Spirit speaks to us. And it's the primary way that the Spirit speaks to us. The primary way that the Spirit speaks is the Spirit speaks through the Scripture. Spirit speaks through the Bible. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus says to them, These things I have spoken to you, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus is saying this to the disciples, I believe. And I think what we see here is a picture of Jesus promising the New Testament to his people. I, I think this is speaking to the scriptures. He will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. What does Jesus do on the Emmaus Road? He walks with his disciples and shows them the way that all the Bible testified about him. One time when I was preaching through Hebrews, the title of the sermon series through Hebrews was a quote from Hebrews, Consider Jesus. Over and over again, the author of Hebrews says, Consider Jesus. He'll set up an argument and then say, But consider, consider Jesus. And someone who watches on TV uh, caught me at the grocery store and said, You know, you've been preaching this series, Consider Jesus, but you still haven't even quoted Jesus. You still not even talked about what Jesus said. You know, I deal with this all the time. People out there, what, 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 what they would call red-letter Christians, that if it ain't written in red, it's, it's, it's kind of lesser Bible. It's a little less than the Word of Christ. It's, it's Bible Junior. You know what I mean? It, 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 but then we get to what Jesus actually said in his earthly life. Well, then that's the Bible Bible, Right? Brothers and sisters, all of the Bible is the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. And all of the New Testament is an exposition of what Jesus taught in His earthly ministry. It is the work of the Spirit through the apostles in writing down what Jesus wanted them to write. It is not different and other than what Jesus taught. It is what Jesus taught. Do you understand me, church? It is what the Spirit wanted the apostles to remember. It is what Jesus wanted us to to have all of the New Testament is an exposition of what Jesus taught and said. He brought to remembrance to the apostles what Jesus said and taught. And the Spirit revealed to the apostles what he had taught, reminding them of things that only made sense after the Spirit came. And over and over and over again, John in his gospel shows us that sort of thing. And you'll also notice at the end of the gospel, when we get there, John said, if, if we were to write down all the things Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain them. And so as the gospel writers are writing, they are moved by the Spirit to show and to demonstrate us to us those things that are most important for us to understand the gospel. For us to understand the gospel. Notice what Jesus begins to say after this. Jesus begins to say some interesting things. Peace, he says, I leave with you, verse 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, he says, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. That is, if you really knew what I was up to, you would rejoice in the fact that I'm dying. Why? 
because I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I, and I've now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world, the devil himself, is coming, and he's reminding him, he has no claim on me. It may look like he does when I'm on the, in the ground, when I'm in the grave, but he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus is showing that the Spirit is going to help them understand the gospel. If your leader is dead, there is no peace, but Jesus gives them peace. If your leader is dead, your heart is troubled. But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. If your leader is dead, you do not rejoice. But Jesus says, rejoice in the fact that I am going to die. If your leader is dead, it seems like the devil has won. But Jesus says, Satan will not win. If your leader is dead, you might ask yourself, where was God in all of this? But Jesus says that God is in control. Jesus is showing the way that the Spirit is going to speak to the apostles, remind them of what he said, and help them achieve and attain all of these things, even though he will be dead. He's showing the way that the gospel is going to transform their lives. That is what the Spirit does for you. The Spirit applies the gospel of Jesus Christ to your heart and your life. The Holy Spirit reminds you on your worst days that your heart ought not to be troubled. The, the Spirit reminds you on your most tumultuous days, Jesus died and raised, rose from the dead. My peace I give to you. Jesus reminds you, the Spirit reminds you on your darkest days that we can rejoice because Jesus has gone to the Father. Jesus reminds us through the Spirit on our most difficult days that the devil will not win. And on the days when everything feels like it's spinning out of control, the Spirit reminds us because of what Jesus has done that God is in control. Brothers and sisters, you don't need the Spirit all the time to be doing big flashy things in your life. You need the Spirit to do what He's always been doing. And He always will do. Point you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. By whispering in your heart on those days you feel guilty and shameful. You are a child of God. And on those days when you just can't seem to get things right. Empowering you and lifting you up to do what God has commanded you to do. And on those days when you can't make heads or tails of what's going on in the world, he points you back to the Bible. The prophetic word made more sure to remind you of what Jesus has said and done for you. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've not, known, if you've not met Jesus for the first time, I'd love for you to turn from your sins in repentance. Turn to God in faith this morning. He will save you. Second of all, second of all, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. And finally, if you're a Christian, you say, Pastor, I, I've not been living and walking in the Holy Spirit like I should. This altar is open for you this morning. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are with us today. God, that you have been so good to us to give us the Spirit. Lord, we pray that he would move among us even now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.